thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This episode is brought to you by Charles Stanley Wealth Managers. Charles Stanley is committed to providing financial peace of mind through personalized financial planning and expert investment management. To find out more, visit www.charles-stanley.co.uk. Investment involves risk. Hello and welcome back to the Unheard podcast, supposedly with Freddie Sayers, but today with me, Florence Reed. I recently spoke to Sharon Davies. She is an Olympic swimmer. She won silver at the 1980 Moscow Olympics and was beaten out of a gold medal in a doping scandal by an East German athlete, Petra Schneider, who has since then offered to return the gold medal to Sharon. Sharon did not accept, but she has written a book, Unfair Play, about the experience and how it charts over to our current moment with trans athletes increasingly competing across biological sex lines in these major competitions. We spoke about the philosophy of fairness, what it really means to have a level playing field. Sharon walked me through the benefits of being biologically male in an all-women's category, and I challenged her on the cultural implications of categorising females separately, what that might mean to people in the trans community, and the future of sport in an increasingly trans-human world where body modifications seem to have become the norm. Her new book is really interesting. I enjoyed reading it very much and our conversation was quite enlightening. So I do hope you enjoy. Sharon, welcome to Unheard. Hello, how are you doing? I said there in my introduction that you are an Olympic silver medalist, which is technically true. It's on your Wikipedia page, but the story is a bit more complicated than that. The athlete who beat you in that particular race, the 1980 Moscow Olympics, was an East German Petra Schneider, who was found to be doping subsequently. So this is how you begin your book. So before we get into the question of trans athletes, tell me what happened in 1980 and why you chose to tell that story, why it's relevant to the moment we're currently in. Yeah, and, and it, you know, with all honesty, it's the biggest reason I speak out. So the East German, the old uh, GDR, German Democratic Republic, were very badly um, drugging their young females from about the age of 11. They were giving them testosterone. Saranobol was the actual drug that they were using, form of testosterone, so that they could enable them to go through male puberty. And then they were competing. And that for 20 years, that was allowed to go on. And that was from sort of the early 70s right through to when the war came down in 89. Um, and it massively affected women's sport. You know, in my particular Olympic Games, they had six podium sweeps, one, two, three. Uh, all European championships during that period of time, they won 90% of the women's medals and practically none of the men's medals. It was extremely obvious. Um, they would arrive at competitions we'd never seen them before. They had male physiques. Um, you know, they had uh, bad skin from the, the drugs that they were given. They had deep voices, Adam's apples. Um, and their performance was was on scale with with you know with a men's performance, and so 
it was just incredibly frustrating that this was happening in front of all of our eyes. We all knew it was going on. We just didn't know how it was going on or how they were getting away with it. But you got to remember in those days, they didn't have random out of season testing. And even when they did in the 90s, they still obviously had Checkpoint Charlie. So they worked out how they could flush this testosterone out quite quickly. So even if a tester was coming through, they could hold them at Checkpoint Charlie until they felt the athlete was clean and then they would let them in. Um, and this was just, an, you know, enabled for a very, very long time. And although I managed to beat two athletes and I've had lots of opportunities from, you know, that came from winning that, that silver medal, I've had friends that came fourth and fifth and their whole lives would have been different if they had won those medals that they should have fairly won. And so I didn't want to see a whole another generation of young girls end up losing medals that they should be winning because athletes that are biologically male and have gone through male puberty and have a bigger advantage because they've gone through the whole of male puberty were then you know being allowed to race against females and all the peer-reviewed science that we have across the whole world 18 19 peer-reviewed studies not a single one says that you can remove male puberty advantage um, and all of them say that it's not removable so we're expecting young females to compete at the moment with a known disadvantage and that's not something that's asked of the men it's only asked of the women and that to me is, isn't right so this really does take us back to the days of the 1980s and also more recently situations like that of lance armstrong who was shunned from the sports community after it was found out that he was doping in this situation, though, it is not that people are enhancing their body with drugs. It's rather that they have existing benefits, that of testosterone, high levels of testosterone, and the immutable characteristics of the male sex. And then they are reducing those levels or those benefits to try and reach the same biological situation as a woman, a, a born woman. And we are ending up in a situation where that isn't entirely possible. Is that correct? Yeah, except for transgender men. So that's biological females who want to identify as, as men. They still carry on a race with the women because they know that they will stand no chance racing with the men. So if the biological females can carry on a race with the women, no matter how they identify, then I don't understand why biological males, no matter how they identify, can't carry on a race with the men. Because what you are asking, you're saying is that females aren't worthy of fair sport anymore. I don't get the sense that perhaps you'll disagree with me that if this was happening in male sport, if there was a genuine threat to the outcomes of male sporting events, that there would be a huge public backlash. I get a sense that it's women's sport in particular that can be kind of shuffled off to the side. I mean, we haven't even spoken yet about trans men, biological women who transition to become men, and their place in this whole question, because of course, under this assumption, they would be competing against able-bodied biological males, which in any case, I imagine, would, would beat them. So where do they come into this? And why does it always seem to be that women's sport and women's issues, and in, in the case of trans men, born females, are pushed to the edges? Exactly. And that's the whole point of the open category. So by creating a female protected category and an open and inclusive category, you are also enabling somewhere for trans men who are on testosterone, females that are taking testosterone, to go and race. Whereas at the moment, they have nowhere to race. They're not allowed to race in the women's category because they would be done for taking drugs. And they don't go and race in the men's category because it's the men's category. So, so you know, it, that by creating that open space and making it inclusive, we are actually providing sport for everybody. But, you know, there are times when the whole thing feels just like a, a, a man's movement. It doesn't feel like a, you know, it feels like it's dressed up in, in enabling males to just have more dominance i mean for example in women's sport we already don't have anywhere near the parity that you know to men's sport there's about a thousand women in the uk that earn their living from professional sport there's nearly eleven thousand men 
Are we not seeing here, though, just the inevitable conclusion of a protected category, the idea that you could in some way cloister women's sport against the excesses of male power, speed, intensity? So women's sport has never been less intense. You know, we train just as hard. I train six hours a day, six days a week, and that was 40 years ago. And I trained with boys all the time. You know, and in lots of instances, I trained a lot harder and I did extra work because my dad was my coach and he was very tough. So it's got nothing to do with the intensity. It's to do with the fact we have different bodies. You know, I have a 16-year-old son who is absolutely riddled with testosterone at the moment, grunting at me and breaking out in spots every five seconds. We are very different beasts, males and females. We're built to do different jobs. So this isn't about anyone that's better or worse. This is just about categories. And we have categories across sport for all sorts of reasons, you know, so that we can give opportunities to everybody. We don't allow under 15-year-old boys to race in the under 12s. We don't allow able-bodied athletes to race in the Paralympics. We don't allow heavyweight boxers to race with bantamweights. There are reasons why we have all these classifications. And that's the biggest reason of all is sex. That's the biggest difference of everything. And so there is a massive difference at Olympic level of anywhere between 10% and 30%. And we know this because we have decades. In fact, we have over 100 years worth of Olympic results. And that's been consistent all the way through history with a little blip during the East German era when the gap was a tiny bit less <laughs> because the East Germans were cheating. So, and now it's, it's gone back to what it always was. And that's about 10 to 30%. So things like weightlifting, the more explosive the event is, the bigger the gap. Um, long distance running, 10%. Swimming, about 11%. Uh, throwing items, you know, 30%, high jump, long jump, 22%. It's absolutely colossal. I mean, it's huge. If you think of someone like Michael Phelps and how dominant he was, he still only beat his rivals by less than 1%. So what I want to do here is just put to you some of the criticisms that might come from the other side, because that's what we like to do here. The first of which is, if you look at the podiums of major sporting events in women's sport, the vast majority of people on those podiums are cisgendered. I'll get in trouble for saying that at all on this channel, but females, biological females, are the vast majority of these elite athletes in these competitions. It is a vast, vast minority of people involved in these competitions who are transgender. And so actually, what difference does it really make to have them there? Well, A, we don't. I mean, you know, we've got 50 elite male athletes at the moment winning prizes in America in cycling. Um, we had Leah Thomas that transitioned and one year later went from being 10,000th in the world to beating three Olympic silver medalists. So, so, you know, I mean, we've got all of the evidence. There are only 18 peer-reviewed studies in the world and every single one of those shows that we can't remove male puberty advantage. So, you know, and, and the rules only changed for the Olympics in 2015 and not in time for the Rio Olympics. So the, first, so the first Olympics that we were able to have any transgender athletes in there really was Tokyo. And we had a female transgender weightlifter who'd retired for 12 years and came back at 41 when the average age for weightlifting is under 30. That said, though, there is a, a growing movement of people in the trans ally community and the trans activist community who would like to see more young people able to transition prior to puberty, given the mental health effects of suffering gender dysphoria through those puberty years. And so if that did come to pass, if it was that young children were transitioning earlier and earlier, whether or not you agree with that in itself, would that not mean that they could be then included biologically under the category of women in the women's sporting arena? I think it has to be a moving feast. I mean, I am 100% open to open and honest scientific debate. I always have been. You know, my point has always been, let's deal with the science that we have. So if the science changes, yes, of course, you know, absolutely. But at the moment, that isn't the case. 
Um, and once a, a young male has gone through puberty and all of that strength has been laid down, it doesn't disappear just because you suppress testosterone later in life. You know, it's a bit like blowing a balloon up. Once you've blown the balloon up, it's going to stay there, even if you don't blow it up anymore. And so that's what we're, what we're you know, saying is that you can't remove that male puberty advantage. You know, the difference in hand size or height. I mean, you know, Leah Thomas was six foot four with hands like shovels. Well, that's going to make a massive difference because they're your paddles. Um, you know, so it, it's it's cue angle. A female has a very different cue angle. So that's the angle from your hips to your knee. And we have six times as many knee injuries in females than we do in, in male footballers because of that cue angle. Again, that's not removed by suppressing testosterone. So if we can work with the science and if the science can prove that we can remove the advantage, then fair enough. But I'm not sure that we ever will be able to remove all of the advantage. So no matter how we look at it, you're still asking the female athletes to compete with a known disadvantage. And we don't ask the male athletes to do that. We only ask the female athletes to do that. That to me is wrong. Though to take the other side again, if you take the mantra trans women are women, beloved of trans activists on that side of the equation, then of course by categorising women's sport as something that does not include trans women, you are by definition saying that those trans women are not women. They are not to be included in this women's category or female category, however you want to describe it. And so there is a kind of cultural trickle down there. You can understand where the fear might be that, of course, if we start to say that there are special categories for females only, biological females, as opposed to transitioned women, then we start to distinguish them. And at that point, culturally, it becomes impossible to say we are uniting women together, trans or cisgender. At that point, we have distinction. And where there is distinction, there is distance. They're not women when it comes to whether we give them a prostate check or whether they give birth. Because again, that's the biology that they have. So you know, you're very entitled to say that transgender women are women. I will say transgender women are transgender women. So I think we need to get to a place where we have more respect for people that are transgender women, that we have this ability to treat people however they wish to identify with honesty and respect and safety, but not necessarily lie about what that really means. You know, so my position will always be that a transgender woman is absolutely 100% entitled to safety, space, respect, and you know, if they wish to be called a pronoun, I will happily do that. However, they are a transgender woman. A woman to me is an adult human female, and female is biological. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. 
Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food. Food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. You mentioned earlier that your solution would be an open category, which would include trans men, trans women and biological men, and then there would be a protected category just for biological women. Is that something that has been taken up by any of the sporting bodies? Is there interest in those councils in actually moving forward with any sort of new classification that would allow that separation to happen? Or is it that the whole of sport is stuck in this kind of mental milieu where it can't quite come to a conclusion? No, 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 the tide tide is turning. So initially, you know, women lost all rights to fair sport. And now World Rugby protects the female category. World Aquatics now protects the female category. World Athletics earlier this year protects the female category. We're hoping World Cycling will very shortly do that. They do that in the UK. Uh, World Rowing have brought in a clause to protect the female category. So the science proves that we can't remove it. And that science should have been done at the very beginning. That science should have been listened to, you know, in 2015 when the IOC changed the rules. And it wasn't. And that's what I'm so frustrated about, that yet again, women's sport was kicked to the side without anyone taking into account how this would impact female athletes. You know, and it was unbelievably naive to think that you wouldn't have people like Leah Thomas, who would transition from being a very mediocre male athlete, who was then enticed to go and, you know, and do competitions and win major trophies that would that should belong to females. And one of the things that's quite important to understand is that women get such a small slice of the cake. You know, we we have 1,000 women in this country that earn a living from sport, 11,000 men. We have 4% of the airtime. We have 1% of the sponsorship dollar. We have a tiny, tiny piece of the sporting cake, which enables us to earn a living. And now we're being asked to move over to allow males to come in and, and win those races as well. So we don't have parity at all. You know, women's sport is already incredibly underrepresented. And to then say to women after all their dedication and hard work that they're not worthy of their sport is really insulting. Just to dig into the reality of the experience of being an elite sportswoman, it's it's a rare experience, certainly not one I have, and I'm sure many of our audience as well. Sorry, guys, for saying that, but it's true. If you are in this elite level sports world, 
what does it mean to miss an Olympics? What does it mean to come fourth or to be left off the podium? What impact does that actually have? And that's what no one is talking about. And that's what I find so heartbreaking in all of this. You know, everyone constantly talks about the feelings of the transgender athlete. No one ever talks about the feelings of the female athlete who's trained for years of their life to be the best they can be, who all of a sudden are going to get left out of a team or bumped down to off the podium or, you know, are not going to get their university scholarship degree in America. So they're going to have to pay for their university because they don't qualify because a male has won it. So it's all of these things that will impact hugely on the opportunities that females have from the world of sports. It does seem strange, though, doesn't it, that given what we've just said about the potential detriment to women's sport, that so few people seem to want to come forward. I understand there's this kind of culture war raging that might make it very scary to step forward. But you are one of a very small minority of sportswomen who are willing to talk about this. And it also seems odd that given the history of women in sport, that these women were often trailblazers, activists, really strong feminists in many cases, fighting for the rights of women to be seen on the same stages as men, that it has been left to the side, that it feels that this is almost swept under the rug and that no one wants to talk about this. Doesn't that seem like a hypocrisy? I think that they've been very bullied. Um, you know, they've been incredibly bullied into silence. I mean, I've had athletes on the phone to me in tears. I've had coaches on the phone to me, you know, incredibly upset. Um, it's about being able to come together and have a united voice. And they've not really been able to do that very well. Um, they've been blackmailed into not speaking. Um, they've been, you know, uh, threatened with losing their university courses, with being black marked so they won't get a degree. Um, in America, when Lynn Thomas was in the changing rooms, you know, this is this is a male who still has full male genitalia. And the girls were told that they could not even complain about the fact this person was getting changed next to them. I suppose that's something we haven't even got into yet. We probably don't have time to get into is these kind of extended issues of things like the privacy of young girls in changing rooms. Changing, being undressed with no clothes on in the changing rooms, I think is a different thing altogether. And that actually applies when you maybe, you know, in a, in a leisure centre where you might have someone who's 40 who identifies as being female changing next to seven year old little girls. I'm not sure that that's OK. You know, I think we need to talk about this and we need to go, do we need to create femicide spaces? Do we need to have some mixed sex changing rooms? What do we need to do so that, you know, parents will feel comfortable? Um, you know, it's not about pretending these issues don't exist. It's about having respectful debate how we solve them. I mentioned the culture war earlier because I suppose that is an important element of this. This is not just about sport. This actually leaks out into the whole rest of society and the positions feel so entrenched. How do we move forward here? It feels like sport is becoming a kind of Petri dish in which we're experimenting with ideas of sex and gender. Um, and at the cost of who? Perhaps female sports people, as you say. But the problem is, I suppose, is how do we move from this test case to a wider societal understanding of our new, very evolving ideas of sex and gender, that feels like almost an impossible task at this point. I've worked all my life to get as many people involved in sport as possible. And I think a lot of young people have mental health conditions where sport would be so useful for them. It would help them with their resilience and their confidence. These are important, important things. So I would never want to keep anybody out of sport. But my first priority is always going to be as a female who's been involved in very unfair sport for a very long time, that females should be deserved of fair sport. So how do we get that first? And then how do we solve the other problems afterwards? Um, you know, and, and I just felt like women's sport had been kicked to the curb and that governing bodies had done a very poor job of standing up for their female athletes. And they are now beginning to listen, but it's taken a very long time. And it took seven years for any governing body asked a female athlete how they felt about this. 
seven years. I mean, that's insane. You know, it's going to affect them. They didn't even ask them. I mean, when I was when I won my Olympic medal, there were four men to every female at the Olympic Games. There wasn't a single female sitting on the Olympic Committee. There's hardly any females today. Most sports are run by men. And that's something which we need to change that dynamic as well. There is this question about what has happened to the leaps and bounds of those early feminist moments where women, particularly women in sport, were not expected to be dainty or feminine or submissive to now kind of submit to an idea of giving up those hard fought rights feels like a grave loss at this point and perhaps even a betrayal of those women who've gone through the past and come out the other side like your mother. And that's what I was saying, you know, one one percent of the US sponsorship dollar goes to females. One percent. That's insane. We we represent over 50% of the world's population. I mean, you know, it's 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 mad. And you're right, sometimes women are a little bit guilty of I don't know, you know, sort of handmaid syndrome where we think, well, being kind is more important, but actually we need to stand up for for women. I mean, when my mom, bless her, she's not with me anymore, but when my mom, you know, in the early days, I remember my mom saying to me that she was an only child and my granddad had left her some money. She bought a house with my dad a long time ago, appreciative, Um, but she wasn't allowed to be on the mortgage. The mortgage was only allowed to be in my dad's name with my mom's money. So I think sometimes the slightly younger generation just don't realise how previous generations have worked so hard, you know, for the, the equality that we have. Um, and at the moment, we're, 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 if we're not careful, you know, we're going to lose a lot of that. My final question for you, Sharon, is one that I'm very interested in, which is what it actually means to be in a kind of post-human world. If we take the trans idea and expand it, we could say that actually, in fact, we are entering into a kind of cyborgian future in which everyone can tweak their bodies, make small body modifications to make ourselves faster, stronger, more athletic. So what hope does sport have of maintaining what you call fairness in this post-human age, in the cyborgian age, when we can make such tiny adjustments to ourselves that it will be imperceptible to anyone who's looking for something as blatant as doping. We're not talking about doping here. We're talking about the tiniest technological tweaks that we might be able to do to ourselves. How does sport even exist in that future? I know. Good question, actually. We do need to keep fighting it, don't we? You know, I think a successful society is a fair society, a society that has law and order. You know, and without all of that, we have kind of mayhem. Um, and part of that, you know, is is sort of it goes into all different t- walks of life. So I would say we we're going to have to constantly fight, you know, for the fact that we have fair sport. And, and if that means trying to up, you know, water checking and, and so on and so forth, then, then that's what we need to do. But giving into the cheats is, is not the way forward. You know, anyone that wants to cheat in sport, whether it's Lance Armstrong or anybody else, you know, just saying go ahead is not is not the answer, because then it becomes about the pharmacists. And who is prepared to risk the most with regard to their health? And those young girls, you know, let's just very quickly go back to those young young East German girls that were given these terrible drugs. They're really ill. You know, many of them have died. Um, Many of them have had disabled children. Most of them have heart conditions now. Um, You know, it's 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 not healthy. And, And, you know, being around an extra 10 years is all well and good. But if those extra 10 years are spent in the corner of a care home, you know, hardly moving I'm not sure that I particularly want to be there. I want to have a really nice, healthy life that's got a good quality of life. And and I think, yeah, it is quite scary. You know, it's you can almost link the mental demise, can't you, with the rise of social media, you know, and everybody living their life 
sort of vicariously online through somebody else's life and then thinking their life is so un unattractive because they're only seeing the very best bits of somebody else's life and then their life doesn't seem so good. But actually, most of us have those sorts of lives. You know, we have nice little blips that are really lovely and we have really bad blips too that happen. So I think the reality of trying to teach kids that, you know, we don't live in this lovely straight world. We have dips. And again, sport is lovely for that. You know, sport really teaches us resilience and the fact we have a race. If we get beaten, we learn a lot of lessons from being beaten. You know, sometimes we learn more lessons from being beaten than winning. So they're important. I mean, you certainly learned a lot of lessons from being unfairly beaten. And <laughs> <laughs> that does seem to be something that you're carrying with you, but you're making something of it. Yeah, and I'm still fighting to have that change. You know, I would love to see the record books changed. I would love to see people that didn't receive medals get their medals. I think it really needs to be acknowledged by the IOC what was, was a real negligent period in history. Um, and, you know, there's been a few papers recently that have been trying to push all of that. I've never wanted anyone to take anyone's medals away. I think it's those young girls had very little choice in the matter. But if you know a record was done by cheating, then that record should not stay in the record books. Who knows, perhaps we will look back at this time and think the same thing in just a few years. Yeah, I think we will. I think we'll find our way through. But it's 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 a shame that um, that the governing bodies didn't stand up for females in sport from the word go. Sharon Davies, thank you for sharing your time with us today. Thank you. That was Sharon Davies, Olympic swimmer, winner of a silver medal at the 1980 Moscow Olympics, cheated out of the gold by an East German doping. You can see the line she traces there very clearly between that time and the time we're in today, in which body modification might become the norm and actually fair sport might be a thing of the past. It's quite a bleak view, but one that I suppose she remedies with an idea of sport for everyone. Her new idea of an open category versus a female protected category Category is one solution. I'd be interested to hear what yours might be in the comments. This was unheard. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food. Food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.